0: Good day. You are listening to Free City Radio. It is Wednesday, the 6th of April, and I'm your host in Montreal, Stefan Christoph. This is the 104th edition of the program. Thank you so much for being with us. Today I'm going to be speaking with Jack Z. Bracic, who wrote the book On Microfascism Gender, War, and Death. This is a book published by Common Notions, commonnotions.org, an excellent activist publishing house. This book explores the ways that contemporary fascism is mobilized in micro moments. A lot of people might be familiar with the term microaggressions. The ideas in this book are important to think about how those micro moments build into a broader power of extremist right-wing movements, but also how do we mobilize in the micro to confront these small moments, but also the broader dangerous manifestations of systemic violence in regards to race, gender, and class. These are essential issues at this moment and encourages us to look to the long-term and the systemic in terms of mobilizing in this moment of urgency. I think this book is important and it was great to speak with Jack today here is my conversation
1: thanks stefan it's a pleasure to be here and uh i will say i'm actually based in philadelphia right now i moved out of new york some years ago but i teach in new jersey so uh at rutgers so yeah but uh so the the tri-state area here but i'm i'm coming to you directly from uh south philadelphia Uh, so uh, uh, thanks and so yeah so i you know um and and i'm happy to be uh part of Common Notions uh, uh, as well, an uh, excellent press that has been really working, I think recently on um, this idea of how do we think through and about fascism in uh, and anti-fascism in, um, uh, in, in, in both grounded ways, but also innovative ways. And I, I hope uh, my book is contributing to that. So let me just say a little bit about um, how the book came about. Um, and, uh, you know, it, in, in around 2017, I was asked uh, by, uh, Peter Worby at Fifth Estate uh, magazine, a, a, a long-standing, well-known anarchist uh, magazine, to write a, a piece about um, things that were going on um, at, in the moment around uh, the emergence uh, and, and election of Trump and some of his followers. So, so what I did was I was looking at some of the um, some of the kind of alt-right street protests that were happening at the time, and um, and this was right before Charlottesville, and you know. Trying to make sense of this 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 world in which people seem to be dressing up and doing cosplay um, and kind of humorous, ironic, trolling versions of street protests that um, were still kind of tied to. Uh, you know authoritarian models of thinking and, and ways of being. So how do we? You know, it was a moment we're trying to think through, like what what are these kind of trolling actions doing um, politically? And of course, after I wrote it, soon after I wrote it, Charlottesville happened, and so we we saw the deadly results of some of those kinds of, uh, of protests. So so that got me thinking about thinking about about culture and about um, uh, ways of of identifying fascism um, before we often see it in its familiar forms right so so the book is kind of animated by this question of um you know as anti fascists how do we identify the enemy and it's it's a question that's been long standing in some ways um uh, in mid 80s umberto echo in a in a piece called "Ur fascism ur are dash fascism "Ur uh, fascism said um you know People keep talking about like, well, we we can't have them return, right? They they can't return, and so he asked the question, but who are they, right? Um, when they're not in the same kinds of uh, formations, ideologies, styles, uniforms, all the aesthetics that were that we're used to, right? So how do we begin to identify fascism before um, it it kind of appears in familiar ways, and also before it becomes a kind of organized or organized either political party or even social movement much less a state formation so these things were kind of animating the the, the question of this book oh for for me then to to look at ways of thinking about uh, uh the emergence of recent fascism and um, around this idea that was initially kind of introduced by by um, uh, Felix Guattari, sometimes in in, in conversation with uh, uh, Gilles Deleuze, sometimes not um, on a, on his own of microfascism. fascism. So um, so I'll just I'll, I'll pause there to just uh, just say that, you know, one of the things that um, that I found in, in writing the book is that, uh, you know, I hadn't learned a little bit more about fascism studies and i realized like there's so much out there and there's so little consensus on what fascism is that uh it was hard to kind of you know make a uh you know definitive um sort of claim on it because of of the way that the the debate goes but but i can certainly talk a a little bit about um you know how the book begins to um work through both uh, I, thinking about fascism and specifically this idea of microfascism um, uh, as well. So, uh, Well, thank you so much. Um,
0: one point in the many uh, threads that you uh, were sharing in your first comments is to think about also uh, addressing fascism. And as you talked about the manifesting of fascism in micro-ways or micro-fascism, now, I, I just would like to maybe draw a little bit about what you mentioned in the fact that there is not a consensus on the definition of fascism. And that's going back broadly to the era of fascism in Europe, uh, you know, starting between the First and Second World Wars even. But that, of course, expands to many examples globally. Um, and I bring this up just to think about um, how we are addressing manifestations of fascism today. You're obviously connected to activist movements and anti-fascist movements as a, as a writer. And so I say this just to bring up, um, I think an issue that a lot of activists face, which is how do we mobilize effectively, you know, in the face of what seems to be an overwhelming force. And you mentioned cosplay and you mentioned performance. Um, And a lot of people, I think, would look to the manifestations of contemporary neo-fascism or contemporary fascism, populist right-wing movements at the beginning, especially on the more liberal side of activism, as almost a joke. But in fact, that's not the case. And so given that it's a real situation, um... I, I would be interested if you had any thoughts to share about the importance of micro action and micro mobilization and sort of this, the, the small level organizing, um, which, you know, clearly has an impact. But it's hard to judge when mainstream media is feeding us grand narratives about an emerging force without actually dis, um sort of breaking down the, the, the sort of structural issues at play.
1: play. Mm-hmm. yeah that's a great question yeah and that animates uh, a, a lot of what i was trying to get at is this this sort of like the 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 layer uh of everyday life and ordinariness um in which uh something like uh, fascism begins to percolate before we even uh um can identify it in, in its again recognizable ways and i think you know i, I would say also that, that my book comes out at a moment um, now it, it's like there was, there was a lot of really great work at the, at the, at the beginning of the uh, the rise of the alt-right uh, and of Trump that was trying to make sense uh, of this through questions around um, uh, humor and trolling and irony and the ways that online uh, versions of this were coming offline. And so the, the, that formation. So I think there was an important moment of documenting that. And I think now there, there are a couple of a few works out now. Ava uh, uh, uh feminist anti-fascism laurie penny's new book on the sexual revolution about feminism being anti-fascist and um to to sort of say like okay well what is also um uh sort of persistent or outlasting these even the what we saw in early days is alt-right which itself is kind of scattered it doesn't really um, exist in that same way anymore post-trump and that kind of classic moment, at least in the States. Right. So, so, uh, so this is where something like the, I think the micro um, becomes an important uh, zone of analysis and I'll get to the organization part as well. Um, So, you know, I think what, one of the ways that it, it, that the micro, the way I think about the micro is not just that it's small. um, It's more about its pervasiveness uh, and everydayness. Right. So if you think about less about like um, um, microbes, and more about the microbiome, right? A kind of environment or a, a kind of ecology, something that surrounds us that isn't always easily perceptible or visible, but something that we um, that actually shapes us, right? So, so that's one of the ways I think the micro was was important here. Also, that it, at least in the in the sense that was uh, developed. In a scattered form by Deleuze and Guattari, it, it also involves desire and subjectivity it remains uh, recognizing that um as as they have said as others have said like it's the fascist in us all right um even though i wouldn't always say that you know i wouldn't universalize it to that degree but but there is a sense that where we need to um uh what we need to investigate are the are these forms of of relationships of everyday interactions uh, that begin to kind of uh, compose a social body from which then more organized forms of recognizable fascism emerges so so and, and that 's where this idea of the of a structure that that even these micro actions aren't they're not like uh, uh, um individualized i mean they they can be uh, uh, sort of brought into an individual, but these are already legacies of things like settler colonialism. And for me, specifically in this uh, in this book, it's about tracing the kind of gendered uh, dimension of this uh, over time, and uh, and 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 asking, well, what if we started uh, with gender to understand uh, fascism uh, rather than um, uh, race or colonialism uh, or, or anti-Semitism, which of course are you know c- crucial and uh, components to this um as a form specifically as a form of genocide but but i also wanted to say and i'm not and other people have already done a lot of that work right to look at um uh you know even during the interwar period in in uh, in the 20th century they were thinking of people like george padmore people like uh uh, uh ma cesare right uh, to, to think about how these were uh uh colonial techniques uh, that were being brought back to Europe, right? So, so that work I think is so important and it needs to be read and and understood before we fixate on the, the, the particular period and particular state formations of it. So, so once we start expanding that out, um, uh you know one of the things i wanted to also then add and, and, and i'm not necessarily the first but it's 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 a way of saying in this moment what would it mean to uh to give gender the kind of central place to think about the forms of um subjectivity that also begin that form themselves through eliminating others um that was sort of one of the the, the key sort of um uh um you know kind of moves in the book is to is to talk about Formations of modern and even pre-modern uh, masculine subjectivity that uh, forms itself and renews itself by uh, the the exclusion and reduction of others, specifically women. So, so, uh, so in that case, if we, we do that, then we begin to see micro interactions. Um, That would be at the level, for one thing, like, you know, a a more common word like microaggressions, um, for instance, like microaggressions themselves um, are not just about the small things that people do. Right. I mean, the the smallness is already a a kind of microcosm or a a way of resonating with these longer standing structures um, that also uh, systematically reduce eliminate uh, um, uh others with capital o so so um so if we think about that as a form of microaggressions we can we can pay attention to that as as places where something like um uh fascism begins to uh, form itself and and um, and in this case you know i could also just say because i also like citing people, even though you know, I'm an academic, so I like citing people. But I also want to say, like, if you want to read further, don't just read my book. There's people there are people who have done that kind of work. So uh, so uh, 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 David Neward's book, um, uh, The Eliminationists, speaks to like the ways that anti-Semitic jokes um, and insults right, were so crucial um, to the rise of uh, Nazi Germany. Right. So so to begin to look at those kind of places. Um, so that's the kind of analytic zone. And then so organizing would be to understand not just our individual kind of desires, um, uh, and the way we have romantic relationships or or produce uh, uh, collectives uh, together and what kind of things are, um, are, are 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 sort of prioritized over others. I think th- those are quite important things, obviously. Um, it's also to think about how those uh, seemingly You know, ordinary moments are resonating with something larger, and so, so to me, one of the ways I sort of, you know, the last chapter in the book, which is beginning to look at uh, types of micro anti-fascism, right, is what is what the book wants to sort of um, uh, get to. By first we identify what this zone is, but then let's go into who might be already uh, making these connections, and I find the kind of global. Uh, anti feminicide work and the global feminist and transnational feminist networks to be uh, a crucial site for understanding this because it there's some of the biggest street mobilizations over the past few years um, uh, that have happened around that. But at the same time, these are about talking about state formations and the, the kind of systematic uh, killing of women for being women. Um, uh, but at the same time, they're tying that to uh, also Uh, everyday interactions, domestic violence, um, right? The, the, the ways that, that interpersonal relations are always connected to also, um, state and police formations, as well as finance capital at times to an extractive policy. So there, this, but I think that that would be one place to look for how this is being articulated as a kind of mobilization. Um, um, there are, there are others as well, but I, 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 you know, I think that, that's certainly one given our, um, time that I would want to just point to.
0: Thank you so much for sharing those reflections. I think that you know one interesting thread um, that would be good to pick up on for this conversation could be around the idea that social movement mobilization against fascism on a broader collective level that manifests through um, uh, sort of in measurable amount of mobilization on a micro level, we see sort of moments of mass mobilization, but I think often lost in those narratives of how these, the stories of these mobilizations against fascism are told are the micro moments of mobilization. And beyond that, I would be interested in hearing your thoughts about this idea of the importance of political reference points in mobilizations against fascism, because I think that liberal narratives often remove the social, political, personal power that these mobilization spaces create as references in the micro. So when people are thinking about how to uh, mobilize uh, against fascism, those moments become so important. But beyond that, I think in terms of creating like a cultural resistance, Uh, we do see people gravitating towards ideas that are out there, right? And unfortunately, in this era, I think on a youth level, we do see, especially online, the influence of extreme right-wing nationalist racist ideas that um, were given a pass from a lot of major social media corporations um, that aren't invested in thinking structurally about these issues. And that has resulted in a lot of physical violence and a lot of danger and a lot of manifesting of these longer legacies of colonialist violence and gender-based violence and structural racism. So I would ask you in that context, can you talk about the importance of holding on to these reference points and, and to think about how they manifest in possibility on the micro level and create alternative frameworks and points of how people are interacting with the ideas and also possibilities for mobilization on a micro level.
1: Mm, Wow. Yeah. That's, that's um, uh, really profound in the sense that it also, it gets to like how, how we move uh, forward, both analytically and and practically through praxis as well as thinking. I think this is what I was trying to work mostly with the analytic part to sort of like keep those political reference points. But um, I'll pick up on on one the first one thing, and then I'll and then I'll um, well I'll, I'll say I'll say this first. I think we're in a moment right now of a, there's a simultaneously and kind of urgency that people want to to do things to stop uh, the Comp, the re, reformation the emergence the, the the kind of reorganization of fascism there's an urgency to it there's also a moment of uh intense reflection on on tactics on how we do this on how we think through this um, and so you know this is kind of what i've been seeing is is, is both of those happening um and uh and it, it you know and with different kinds of um uh sort of moments because right again there was an easy way to kind of mobilize against the east in the Eastern states, against Trump um, and against Trumpists and MAGAists, um, because it was easily identifiable. But then, without that, somebody it's like, okay, well, what is the uh, what are the what are the reference points that then we can we can say like, well, this is what we're trying to also draw from um, and identify at the at the same time um, as as problematic. So so there's the reflection part. But I wanted to get to, to the thing about the the kind of some uh, the marginalization or erasure of of the kind of ordinary the micro the everyday when it came to i would say yeah centrist or, or, or uh, uh, liberal kinds of approaches to um uh, uh anti-fascism which which tended to identify it along party lines uh, or along um, again very visible versions of this to the to the extent that yeah, it ignored a lot of these uh, older or more structural political reference points. So so when people start identifying fascism as just kind of anti-liberal democracy, um, it's like it's quite you know um, it obviously ignores the way that liberal democracy itself functions and, and operates on a series of uh, structural inequalities around race, around class, and, and I would add around gender that um, that themselves were the, the 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 are the places where the, the fascist Festers uh, primarily not about you know a a kind of political formation that is against equality or something like that but, you know that there's that it, it it has that but but the the inequalities that actually inform liberal democracy are the things that also get reactivated uh, by by reactionaries so so in, in that case then um, uh, even the kind of idea of the public private split, in which case centrist and liberal, uh, liberal democracy would say would operate on this distinction and then say, well, the jokes that, that part of culture, I mean, that's the private realm. And that's, you know, that might be important, but it's like what we're dealing with is, um, is the, the public sphere. And so when fascists show up there, then we, we figure out how to deal with them. But, but the other parts are, uh, uh are, are, you know, sort of get, uh, taken as given that is, um, Oh, you know, this is this is the, the realm of freedom of speech. If um, uh, you know, when when culture when the trolls are are making these sort of threats um, against uh, against women, you know, it's like, well, we can't really uh, do anything about that because what we're really worried about is preserving the center. Um, so, so I, I would say um, to, to clarify that a little more. Um, I think we're at a moment right now uh, where we're in the middle of. Uh, two wars what i call two wars of restoration um on the one hand is the uh, more kind of obvious uh, reactionary fascist one um that wants to restore uh, moments of uh, um either you know nationalism in the u.s the the founding of the u.s which is also a settler colonial moment um, which is also a restoration of certain kind of patriarchal relations and uh and and in, in the under guise of traditionalism Okay, that's an obvious one. The other one, though, is something that's more tied, I would say, with uh, centrism and the the liberal democratic state, which is let's restore, um, uh, at least in the US, America to the moment of where we were civil, where there was a consensus around uh, politics and um, and kind of um, uh, bring back uh, or or kind of uh, the, the antagonism is against extremism. Right. And it's anti extremist, which ends up being turns out both right and left for for centrist Now, the, the reason I bring that up is I think those uh, that that second uh, um, war, the, that war of restoration is also trying to now define Fascism and what it means to be anti-fascist. So the so the centrists are also um, now saying like they're interested in anti-fascism and they want to stop it, but in doing so they're defining it in a very particular way. And so it's it's what we you know what I find myself doing and and I, you know and I and I and I adhere more to you know what Matthew Lyons and other people have called the three-way fight. Right, you you have to fight the the um, uh, the rise of reactionary fascists, but at the same time also resist the state that wants to um uh you know become the 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 definer uh and the actor through their carceral techniques or other sorts of um uh modes of thinking and being that's going to stop that right so so this
0: so yeah i mean just on that point i just i thank you so much for highlighting that it seems like in a lot of ways that the liberal you know i mean in canada it would be the liberal party is trying to own what it means to be anti-fascist, and through that, disempower social movements. Yeah,
1: exactly, exactly. And I, so I think that 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 needs to be uh, uh, um, sort of yeah, foregrounded for for those of us who don't want you know parties or or states to define those uh, those problems and those solutions, because as we know, um, the, those solutions will often take us up um, in that net as well.
0: Yeah. And I mean, that's so important because do our struggles just reinforce the exi- existing historical power relations that got us here in the first place? So in terms of like Liberal Party legacies in Canada, it would be like, do we want to reinforce the structures of settler colonialism that has led to the structural um, inequalities and systemic racism and genocidal policies against Indigenous people that uh, are foundational to the Canadian state. Um, and I, I think that, you know, a lot of the points you brought up, Jack, around um, thinking critically through this are not easy. And I think, um, you know, it's really interesting because I think there could be a tendency because of the urgency of the situation to think in shorthand, right? Now I've always thought about the term shortcuts, right? And then, but on a longer arc, I think it's so critical, a lot of what you're saying, because without thinking through these layers, then we end up with shortcuts and we know what shortcuts have brought us, which is the failure of the liberal democratic center to hold against extremism, right? And, you know, and I think that explains a lot of issues, not all the issues.
1: Absolutely, I mean, sometimes you're right, uh, the long cut is is needed, um, even in the moment of uh, urgency and the immediacy of stopping, right? And so, I mean, how do we how do we have uh, hold both of those simultaneously? And I think that's. I mean, it, it, it's not the first time, I think, people who consider themselves either on the left or um, or, or anti-authoritarian or um, have had to address that. But it's um, but I think we have a peculiar situation insofar as the, the extent to which both of those things are intensified uh, right now, both the urgency and the need for the long cut.
0: So, thanks. thanks so much for taking the time to speak today, Jack.
1: I appreciate it, Stefan.
0: That was a conversation with Jack. Zed Bracic, uh who wrote the book on microfascism, gender, war, and death, you can find out more about that at commonnotions.org. This has been the 104th edition of Free City Radio. I'm your host Stefan Christoph in Montreal. We share a new episode every week, and we broadcast on CKUT 90.3 FM in Montreal Wednesdays at 11. CGLO. 1690 a.m. in Montreal, Tuesdays at 1 and are now broadcasting on Wednesday mornings on CKUW in Winnipeg, Treaty 1 territory of the Métis people. Thank you so much for being with us. Uh, I'll go out with an excerpt of a recent duet that I released with cellist Laurie Goldston. I'm playing organ. This is called Birds in Trio. Thanks again to Jack and also shout out to Malav of Common Notions who Uh, helped set up this interview. Uh, Take care everybody and I'll speak to you next week.